<laughs> I, 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 I got, I got, I got, I got this, I got this, I got this. On today's integrated rhythm, where two swing dancing besties navigate the the race and social justice and a myriad of things in the world of Afrocentric jazz dancing, we're here with Tosomo and Bobby and Joey Otang. Joey Otang is an amazing social justice educator, blogger, photographer, and all round incredible human. He's studying law at the Moritz School of Law at Ohio State University. This guy is absolutely amazing. Tune in. Integrated Rhythm with Gisomo and Bobby. We are here with Joey Otang. Yay. We're very excited, very excited to have him. You, you've probably seen his designs somewhere because a lot of us in the Swing Dance community uh, share those on social media, his um, his social justice designs, and they're fantastic. Yeah, amazing infographics. And um, he has a compendium, a growing compendium of resources. When he came to Baldwin Wallace University to talk about social justice issues with the faculty there, at that point in time, I believe there were over... 50, 60, and then now, how many are there? I don't know. I think there's, um, I think I'm just past like 80, 82. Yeah. Yeah, too many. Yeah. I was going to say, <laughs> it was like 50 or 60 at that point, and that was just a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Um, and, and it had been like, there were like 40 a couple weeks before that. And I was like, how are you as a person in law school and someone who's running social justice <laughs> workshops and like existing as a human being also turning out all of these infographics? Because before May, there weren't any, right? Like no, you had yeah. done. None yeah. at all. Yeah. Yeah. So um, also, Bobby, we didn't introduce ourselves. So today we're here with Bobby White, sweet dancer extraordinaire. And Chisomo Salamani. Yay. We're so excited to have Joey. So we're like, Joey, tell us everything about your life. <laughs> tell us. Um, so yeah, so we wanted, speaking of social justice education, we wanted to chat with you a little bit about what that's been like. Um, and seeing as we're in 2020, the year of, um, as my friend says, making lemonade. Um, <laughs> margaritas. Yeah, margarita, exactly. We're making margaritas out of some rotten lemons. Um you started to make these infographics and you've kind of been blowing up on social media, et cetera. Could you give us a little summary of your life experience? Yeah. Um, what is there to know about me? Do you want me to focus just on the um, social media engagement and the social justice education or like my background? I would love best. for you to share, what, share, your how, share your story. Tell us yeah. about you. Yeah. Good question. Wow. So, uh, yeah, I'm Joey. I use he, him pronouns. I am a second year law student at The Ohio State University Moritz College of Law. Um, law school has been an adventure. So much to say about it, but let's avoid it. Um, I uh, was born in, well, not born, born in um, Centerville, Virginia, so Northern Virginia, uh, back in the 90s, back in the 
that was a time back when you can get four for one like candy at the grocery store that's how i know that times have changed because now it's like two for one and it's not as fun um cheetos asteroids were a thing i just found some at target the other day which has been <laughs> phenomenal uh spent most of my time in the suburbs of cincinnati i uh, did college at the university of vermont in religion and biology uh should be in medical school Disappointment to my parents that I did a master's in education at Kent State University in higher ed and college student affairs because I loved college so much. I never wanted to leave. Um, I worked at Otterbein University for a couple of years doing orientation and first year experience. Uh, and then now I'm in law school. So outside of school, which is way too much school, it's been uh, photography, which I've been doing for about six years, uh, blogging I've been doing for 10 years, and then uh, social justice education about five or six years doing that. So um, for me, it's really been, uh, I don't know, a transformative experience. This past summer, um, I took it upon myself to put out some content. I was like, how do I get people to be where they need to be when it comes to having meaningful conversations and taking action when it comes to uh, anti-racism and racial justice. It seemed like I was having a conversation and then other people weren't quite there or didn't have the language to be able to engage in a meaningful way. So um, I think for me, it was how do I approach this with kindness and compassion and empathy to give people the language that they need to talk, to take action, to discuss, to dismantle, whatever they need. Um, it's like, how do I learn best? It's visual, it's videos, it's worksheets, instead of I'm gonna lecture you. Um, I think it's been fascinating to see how there's been this massive output specifically with infographics. So it's like graphic design is saving the world apparently. Every single day on Instagram, it's um, new words and uh, aesthetically pleasing fonts and a little quick videos to get people to be where they need to be. Yeah. Well, I'm, I've been, by the way, I've been so impressed with your infographics, uh, especially because something that I love so much that you do is you don't oversimplify uh, the information. Like I, I've seen some infographics and stuff where, and I can understand the urge, right? To be like punchy, to like have, make sure people read it. And so you, you know, you, you put it down into a few words and say like, you know, this is the answer. And yes. I really appreciate it that you, you like, each each infographic has like a book's worth of material if you kind of think about it and roll over it and like and like how you, you again like you don't simplify it and I, I really appreciate that's been so helpful in my education yeah I feel like um there's an understanding that that a specific infographic is a part of a bigger picture and so mm. people recognize that while this is information, it's a snapshot mm -hmm. and I need to research what's within this and look beyond it as well. Yes. So, yeah. so yeah, that is, that is a specific skill. Um, yeah, sorry. I'm having, I, I had, I'm having a fly moment, I guess. And so we don't need to get into any of that, but, uh, but yeah, I, if you saw a fly, for those of you who are just listening to us, um, ignore what I just said. So <laughs> yeah, if you, uh, if you're listening to us on the podcast, you can check out the video. Uh, and I highly recommend it because, uh, Joey has like one of the most pleasing smiles in the world. You just get the <laughs> bask in that glow and it's, I highly recommend yeah. it. Uh, some of the things that I've, uh, some of the things I, I, in going through your infographics, some of the things that like really struck me or I'll, I'll just throw out there because I, I found it really uh, striking for my personal experience. Um, yeah. uh, the moving sidewalk to anti-racism. 
where yeah. you show this graphic of a, a moving sidewalk and how yes. like the fight against anti-racism is walking the other way on the mm-hmm. on the moving sidewalk and that's just like a hmm, beautiful image i loved it yeah I um, read Dr. Beverly Tatum's um, Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting mm-hmm. Together in the School Cafeteria, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is, I think it's phenomenal. When I was in yeah. grad school, I studied um, college student affairs, and we spent some time on multiculturalism and identity development. So really thinking about how are students developing through their college experience on a wide variety of identities. So uh, in terms of race, gender, gender expression, sexuality, religion, um, ability, And so she zooms in on racial identity development. So the ways that black students develop versus how white students and um, other students of color, ethnic minorities develop. Um, And so she talks about the moving sidewalk in it. That was the first time I ever heard it. And I was like, this is absolutely brilliant because um, it makes so much sense. I think we uh, often get caught in this uh, sense of complacency. I think for me, I've come to the conclusion that we can either be... um, complicit, complacent, or we can be courageous. And courageous is the only option that makes sense because the other two like take us to that same place of racism. If we're not being actively anti-racist, we're not doing the work that we need to. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that idea, complicit, complacent, courageous, I feel like um, that courage has to be renewed every day. Yes. Right? And so yeah. otherwise when we if we exist in a space of complacency um that that is a static space whereas mm-hmm. like courageousness being courageous has to be continually that commitment has to be continually renewed and can and honestly in this work can be really exhausting so Definitely. yeah yeah how um I would like to hear a little bit about like managing that. And then also um, any thoughts that you have about this year in particular, I, um, as you mentioned, (laughs) I know. know. Yeah. But, but I mean, as, as you said, you wanted to um, provide a way for people to grow in their literacy. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, I know something you talk a lot about is like race, racial literacy and then even like social justice literacy, like Mm -hmm. there's language associated with what we're doing Um, and their phenomena that people experience every day. And quite frankly, I feel like a lot of people are getting into trouble because they're Mm -hmm. not aware of the, the role that they're playing in society without realizing it. Absolutely. And so, um, so anyway, so I'd love to hear a little bit about, um, about this year and then also about you and how you um, kind of disrupt some of these like oppressive things for yourself. You know, we want to have a moment of like recognizing the hard things, but then also celebrating with you. So, yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. I think for me, Uh, This year has been nothing short of an adventure. I think of my life, this is so ridiculous, but I think of my life as a um, a TV show that gets renewed every season. So I'm in season 27. Um, The plot twists of this year keep coming. The side characters have been um, unexpected. The, I don't know, the... I don't even know what the plot line is at this point, but season 27 has been the most dramatic season ever. I just watched The Bachelorette yesterday, which was a mistake, but here we are. Um, yeah, 2020 has been, I don't know. I think I'm thinking about, was it 2017 that we really anthropomorphized? Morphosized? 
Whatever, we made it human. That was the year that we were like, this is terrible. We blamed everything on 2017. How could this year be the way that it was? And then we have 2020, the year that said, yeah, what more could we do? What more could happen every <laughs> single day? I'm honestly like, this is a joke. Um, the the writers of this season need to stop. Like, give, give us a break. Let us breathe. Too many plot lines. Like, give us the season finale because we cannot handle um, any more of this. The year started off. Um, I remember I always do like resolutions or aspirations, as I call them. Um, and I think for me, I wanted to spend more time on uh, being present and uh, being with people in witness. I think my word for the year has been witness. And I think about, um, I don't know, actively choosing to be with people and like people who celebrate um, me and each other and getting to know one another. Um, that has been such like a positive, affirmative thing to do and like let go of those are, who are disinterested and disengaged. And then the pandemic hit. I will never forget, um, I was on spring break and so I was at the law library because I was like, I'm not going anywhere. I don't have time. I got stuff to do. <laughs> and so I was with my friends and we're studying and we are uh, listening to our 90s um, playlist. It is Backstreet Boys, Mark Morrison, Boys to Men uh, in the law school. And get this email that, uh, yeah, you have, a, you have another week of spring break. I said, I'll take it. Things that never happen. I was like, maybe, yeah, maybe I will. I don't know. Maybe I will go somewhere. And so I was like, I'm not going anywhere. I uh, It was the Wednesday of that second week. I was at the library. I volunteered uh, with the Columbus Public Library doing after-school homework help. So helping third graders do um, multiplication, which apparently I was not very good at. I used to um, be really good at it. And I'm like, people are counting on their fingers. I was like, wow, I need to call my dad because as an immigrant kid, he would make me sit in the kitchen and sit with me and do this homework and like yes. sign, cosine tangent. Yes. Um, until I would cry, to be quite honest, until I would cry. And then I'm like, yeah. I just want to leave. I'm trying to watch Smallville and I should not be watching the show because it's way too old for me. Um, and then we got the call of everyone has to leave right now. You must go home. Uh, we are on lockdown. I'm like, oh my gosh. What is going on? And so it was almost like a movie. I remember my dad was like, go to the store, get what you need for like a week or two and then go home. I remember going to Target and there are people physically running. People are pushing each other, fighting over bread. Um, I am a snob when it comes to toilet paper. So I was like, I need my four ply toilet paper. Like that's, that's a necessity for me in life. And it is gone. It felt like a movie. I was like, if if I'm being punked, um, I hope I get paid for this. But it is, it was it was the wildest thing I think I've ever experienced. Oh, it was like 9/11. That's how I think about it. Like I, I will remember where I was, how I felt, and how like eerie it was. So the pandemic started, and there I was, just hanging out at home. And slowly but surely, it set in more and more. Where yeah, we're not going back to school. We just we were on Zoom from then on. Um, summer came. And I don't know, it was just like, what is going to be different? Um, we can't go anywhere. I can't see people I care about. I was like, can I go see my dad in Cincinnati? And um, my dad and two of my older brothers are all uh, ER doctors. So they mm. were seeing patients who had um, coronavirus. So for me, it yeah. was like, are my family members going to be okay? Um, 
it has been a time. And then you add this fight for racial justice with this resurgence because the police could not kill people for like two weeks. We couldn't handle it. We couldn't stop it. We we enjoy it too much. Uh, and then there's the um, climate and climate change and wildfires and uh, politics. And we got Joe Biden as our decision, our de facto decision of who we have to vote for. And, 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 and so much. So, um, what a year, what a year. <laughs> I feel like there's like a collective exhaustion and this like, yeah. there's no time to mourn and to rest. I think about Chadwick Boseman, his passing was devastating for me as a, as a black person. And he was the reason I grew out my hair and have my little hair crown now. And um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I remember where I was. I was at the park taking pictures and then just sat down in the park and cried because what more could happen at this point? Um, and, and, and that's what I think about this year. Yeah. I, I kind of feel like this year, as you were describing things, it made me think this year is like a season of a Shonda Rhimes TV show. So it's like Grey's Anatomy or How to Get Away with Murder (laughs) or Scandal. scandal. All at once. Right? You have the the legal side, you have the medical emergency Mm -hmm. side, you have, yeah, the presidential side. Like it's just like all of those three. So yeah, so it's not like a Shonda Rhimes TV show. It's like all of them. (laughs) Let us breathe, Shonda. We need some time. Right? Because that's how that's how I feel watching them. I'm like, oh, I I just need to watch another episode, but I need to get through the season. I can't. Yeah, no, it's been it's been hectic. Um, Just one quick story. And then uh, Bobby, I'd love to hear your thoughts and um, questions as well. Um, You were talking about your moment with your dad. Um, I had a similar moment or similar moments Mm. with my mom. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of my particularly favorite moments was like, she I was behind like I'm I'm I do things slowly um the way my friend <laughs> I'm just, I just I operate very slowly like I'm aware of time but I take mm. my time you know like mm-hmm. I'm one of those people um and so when I was in my early educational experiences I just I didn't get through work very quickly mm. um in math I was a little bit behind so my mom was like okay we're gonna fix this and so we're gonna do times tables at home and then times tables somehow turned into algebra yep. um and so I <laughs> was 10 years old I mean this was the summer of like the fifth grade like going mm. into fifth grade and my mom is like okay chisomo this is Pythagoras theorem. <laughs> so we're going to talk about the Pythagorean theorem right now. A squared plus B squared equals C squared. It's a <laughs> in my mind as a 10-year-old. I was like, mom, we're doing times tables at school. Yes. And she was like, uh, okay, so these letters. <laughs> she, just didn't, she didn't care. She was unfazed. So I, I also would cry, but then it didn't really it matter. Didn't but no. <laughs> you know, so. it was traumatic, but then also really useful because when I got to eighth grade algebra, I already knew three yes. x is equal to five, yes. x is equal to five. Yeah. And now I don't use math at all. So that's, it's wonderful. It's- yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's oh similar situation. That's So Joey and I, um, here's the thing about the pandemic is that like Joey and I have never met, but we've now like sat on a panel, 
<laughs> we've sat on a panel together. Um, we've hung out. We have, um, he's, he participated in a community conversation I did. Um, he came to Baldwin Wallace University and taught for my wow. family. So like, I feel like Joey's like an old friend, but That's because of the say, pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> like, because of the pandemic, old friends can be made really quickly. Definitely. <laughs> exactly. That Never time. met. But one of the things we found is that we have a lot of parallel situations. Yes. So, <laughs> math, solidarity. I I personally, I shouldn't say this because I don't want to discourage anyone who looks like me from doing math. You can do it. Just so you know, you can do it. The, words, the next words I'm going to say, not great. But what I'm saying right now is great. <laughs> next couple words. I'm terrible at math. I hate it. It's horrible. I'm not a math professor. There is math in my work. But simple math and I are not friends. We're not. I tell mm -hmm. my students I'm bad at two things, simple math and separating tiny sheets of paper. Like, you know, when you have to like separate <laughs> to pass them out. You should see me at the grocery store, like with those bags. I'm like oh, sitting there for a minute. Oh, a garbage bag. Method. You have a little sponge in a Tupperware that you keep with you. Oh, man. <laughs> like, help me. But yeah. So, Bobby. Well, yes. Well, so at both of you uh, seem to be pretty well steeped in some academia, and I would love to hear your thoughts on. So, uh, Joey, we in the in the swing scene. Um, mm. I think it's correct me if I'm wrong in any of this, Chisomo, but uh, mm -hmm. we we are predominantly a, a white educated space who's gone through mm. a lot of. I think most. I very pretty highly educated white space. And I feel like that has affected the way that the dance is approached, the way that it's taught, mm. um, all these things. Uh, and of course we're talking about jazz dance, which is a black American art form. Yes. And so, uh, yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on like, uh, pitfalls of, of that kind of academia teaching versus mm -hmm. like, what are some things that uh, are going on now to help change that? Yeah, that's a good question. I think about, I mean, white supremacy, it comes to mind. I'm like, oh, here we go. Um, <laughs> I really think about, yeah, like who gets to teach and be taught? Um, where is our, where does our pedagogy come from? What's our lineage of our education? Uh, I was just talking about in my um, critical lawyering class this week, I've only had two professors of color in my entire life. It was my senior year of college. I had my first black professor and how revolutionary that experience was. And then I taught a couple classes when I worked at Audubon University. Um, and my students were like, wait, what is, what is this? Like you're teaching this class? And I was like, how am I qualified to be here? But there I was. And I think about, um, in any, like any sense, any aspect, any community, when that has been, uh, where we're coming from, how that impacts the way that we approach the work or even talk about the work. Um, I know for me, I try to avoid academic language as much as possible. It is, it's so fascinating to be able to pivot, um, my big thing is if people can understand you in smaller words, more manageable words, use them. There's there's no point um, unless it's like a, you know, a built-in audience that knows the vernacular. Let's break it down because um, if people can't understand you, that's not effective communication. Um, that is like my entire struggle with uh, the legal profession. It is sometimes they want us to uh, dance in the heavens and uh, live in the ivory tower. And then sometimes they want us to be Rapunzel and let down our hair and just yeah, use regular people words. And I'm like, who was my audience? Is it a judge or is it the plaintiff? I don't know. And so for me, it is, uh, 
I struggle. I think even as a person, I love words. When I was a kid, I used to read the dictionary, which is so odd, but I would just like, <laughs> I thought it was so fun. And um, I lost my sixth grade spelling bee and I'll never forget it. Um, restaurant, still can't spell it. Yeah. Um, dorm, yeah. And so for me, it is um, how are we making uh, the things that we're talking about, the things that we care about, the things that we're passionate about accessible to other people. And if people don't know, um, are we giving them an opportunity to learn in a way that's uh, kind and gracious and welcoming instead of exclusive? Or mm. I think about like uh, the access to social capital or shaming. It's mm. not... Um, how could you not know? Or how have you never seen this movie? Or um, you've never done this? It is, oh, yeah, you don't know this? Great. Let me tell you a little bit about this. Or um, this is where I learned about it. I'd love to share this resource with you instead. It is. Um, or it's like universal design where I'm going to treat it as if you know nothing and give you all the information you need all at once so you don't have to ask questions. I, I love the UDL shout out, by the way, <laughs> university or universal design for learning um, for those. It's if you are a, a pedagogy scholar, your heart was just warmed in that moment. <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I myself had a I was a I've always loved literature and I started to really fight back and be annoyed at you know, the four letter that, okay. So I took the GRE, mm. the GRE, you know, you have to oh, learn yeah, all those Victorian era literary yeah. words that you've only seen used in Victorian literature. Yes. And you're expected to be, have your intelligence judged on mm -hmm. your ability to remember what all those words mean. And I just remember being furious. I was so furious taking, studying for this exam. Cause I was like, you are asking me to do a task, which is like pointless. So yes. whether or not I can like move people with with words. Yes, uh, I was I was uh, entering a creative writing program, which I got into. So yeah. I did okay, <laughs> and hilariously, I did much better on the math than the than the verbal. Really, yeah. that's fascinating. Come I was on. fuming. I was I so angry. Mean. Yeah, it's like let me let's test your Latin ability, your your understanding of um. Of, of words deconstruction yes. of words and so like i hear you joey i love words i yeah i actually i remember sitting for the gre memorizing all of the that that word list because mm -hmm. you're i mean in terms of assessments come on like let's be serious like assessments like when you were in education you asked the question yeah. is what am i assessing actually giving me information about what i want to get outcomes for mm -hmm. um so that assessment is like mm, questionable questionable but i loved like learning the different words and thinking about yeah. the roots of words and being yes. a nerd about the words oh, like yeah. etymology is amazing <laughs> yeah i love it yes yeah. but like but to be but the functional ramifications of passing or not passing the gre especially yes. as it's been it's not great That's so awesome. yeah but that. But I, I loved what you were saying about shame through the learning process and mm. um, asking yourself the question of how do you how do you encounter how do you manage that moment when your knowledge in something is deeper than somebody else's? Yeah. And so, um, yeah. 
I thought that that was really brilliant because I think interpersonally we we run into that all the time, right? Yes, like if we're time. in a, a group, a convert, if we're having a conversation, and you don't know, like oftentimes, like we've been socialized to just not say anything. Yes, you know, we're not engaged. Yeah, um, and how beautiful would it be if we were more accepting of different of different ways of knowing and learning yeah. and growing bobby you look like you wanted to say something i do but actually it'll, it'll be perfect time to come in after the break so we're going to yes. take a quick break we'll be right back hey everybody this is bobby white from integrated rhythm we're here to ask you to please consider donating to the podcast you can do so by going to patreon.com slash integrated rhythm you can do so by Venmoing at Bobby Swungover and make sure to put a little IR in the note so we make sure it goes to the right people. You can also do so by PayPaling at Bobby White 3 and once again putting a little IR in the in the window there. Doing so will help us keep this podcast going and we love doing it and we hope you love it too. If you can't afford to donate at this time because times are rough, we totally understand. We don't want you to put yourselves out. We want you to keep enjoying the podcast for free. However, if you have a little bit of pocket change in your pocket, we would greatly, greatly, greatly appreciate it. Thanks and have a great day. Hello, we here at Integrated Rhythm. Obviously, love for you to put money into the black business economy, help support black businesses. And it just so happens we are having a conversation today with a black businessman. That's right, Joey O'Tang. You can help donate to him to help, first off, keep his infographics and social justice work coming. That stuff he does for free to send out there to the world, but you can help keep it afloat. Uh, another thing you can do is you can hire him for your social justice needs. Um, he has done panels. He has done conversations. He's done this podcast. You know what an uh, incredible speaker he is, so you can have that all to yourselves if you are looking for someone in that line of work. Chisomo, uh, how might one go about donating to the man Joey? You could donate or donate to Joey at um, Venmo or PayPal. So his Venmo is the following: Joe Tang, spelt J O T E N G. His PayPal is Joe Tang six one four at Gmail or. J-O-T-E-N-G-614 at gmail.com. Lastly, to see all of these things and see his great photography, you could also hire him as a photographer, y'all. Go to Instagram. His Instagram is Dr. Joe Tang II or D-R-J-O-T-E-N-G-I-I. All over here. Jonah. We're back. Actually, I'm going to share something deeply personal and might make my mother uncomfortable. So I apologize, gentlemen. Um, I needed to get um, some underwear and I was able mm. to find some um, flesh tone underwear for the first time in my entire life wow. a couple weeks ago because I um, ended up patronizing a black owned business and so isn't I mean, that you don't have to patronize them to somo they're 
you know, they're a business no, affecting I, the other business. I, I, w- I was a patron of them. I don't, I'm sorry. No, you said the right, you said the word right. My brain just somersaulted. But it was really cool. And so you think about it. Um, I got flesh toned undies. So. That's awesome. It's a big um, deal though. I feel that I, yeah. I bought um, uh, flesh colored uh, bandages at Target. I, I remember I got some last year and I still have them in my backpack and I cried. I was at Target just crying. I was like, this is so cool because I feel like back when I was a kid, the peach crayon still used to be called flesh. And so that was like a strong communication of your skin is not uh, what skin is supposed to be. So I don't know. We've come a long way and people are like, it's not a big deal, but bandages are supposed to match your skin and hide. Huge deal. It's, I can only imagine what a huge deal it is. I, I I told uh, some of the story. Um, at, at one point I, I went into a drugstore and it was after mm. I was reading, I think, Whistling Vivaldi mm. and, uh, I just decided like, Hey, I like, what is this drugstore trying to tell me? Mm-hmm. And I went in and every single picture on every single bandage or bandaid or, uh, you know, here's this knee brace thing. Every single picture was a white skinned person. Mm. And I was like, oh, I I never noticed before that this yeah. drugstore is telling me that like normal equals white. Yeah. Bobby, I love that question. You walked in and you said, what is this store? What are they trying to tell me? What is my world trying to tell me? I think that that's a really great point of and reflection. So, yeah. 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 And like, I know that, uh, you know, on video games now, they're making an effort to like, make sure that the characters you can choose have different skin tones and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm like, friends of ours on are like, are so excited about it. And uh, that's really awakening for me, who again, wasn't aware of this kind of uh, yeah. situation. And now to see how happy it makes my friends and stuff, is just yeah really impactful. Yeah. I, so um, so bringing it back to underwear i'm sorry but i was in the victoria's <laughs> secret <laughs> like, Victoria secret a couple like well i guess it was like about 10 years ago now 12 years ago um and i was with my best friend and she is um she's white and and so we were we were in victoria's secret and i was looking for different underwear and i saw the word nude and it was mm. like the selection of like women's underwear that was nude and mm-hmm. i I literally, I think she was embarrassed, you know, because why, maybe, whatever. But I was like, this is not my nude. I was like, this is not my nude. This is not my nude. Like, I just was yelling in Victoria's Secret. And Amanda was kind of like, okay. I'm like, but it's not. I'm like, it's not. So I, you, know how, like, you know how you imagine that some places have their, like their telephone complaint people obviously have a script different things yeah. i wonder if victoria's secret had a had a script <laughs> yeah. for like someone is screaming about how they you don't have their their skin color and yeah. how they're supposed to yeah so but yeah but you're right it's it speaks volumes joey so but yeah. bobby i believe you had some questions for us yeah all right so uh so joey we in the scene in the sweet dance scene again Chisoma, correct me if i'm wrong but i I get the feeling that we are a predominantly more liberal oriented white space. Mm. Uh, and so 
we as a scene are trying to, you know, uh, we're trying to make spaces more welcoming for people of color. We're trying to make spaces themselves more black spaces in mm -hmm. and of themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and we're trying to, you know, we're trying to correct for, you know, the mistakes of the past and, and that mm -hmm. sort of thing. Um, and a, a lot of your infographics uh, do have, you know, you have some that are geared specifically towards allyship and how allyship can go awry. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, what are, what are more productive allyship purposes? What are some less productive allyship things? Absolutely. Uh, and I wouldn't mind if you would love to maybe give some advice to that for our listeners. Yeah, I think you said some really significant things where um, we, have, we always have these buzzwords, right? Like inclusion is the big one right now. Like we got to include people. Um, you're welcome here. And I think about this spectrum of... Um, inclusion, engagement, celebration, right? Like it's one thing to tolerate people. I think that's like, it's a coded word be like, oh, I tolerate you. Like you can, you can exist as you are. That does right? not sound very good when you say it that yeah, way, does it? Yeah. Or <laughs> I, I accept everybody or I'm open. People love to say they're open. And I'm like, so you so you can entertain the idea that I exist. Wonderful, I'm, I'm glad, good for you. Um, <laughs> I, I exist whether you believe it or not. People, it's a weird thing to say. Um, and then people will say, yeah, like, uh, we, you're included. We want you to be part of us. And I think that's like where we, a lot of people have tried to move to is, um, yeah, you can fit here. But I also think about like, what does it move? What does it look like to move past inclusion versus like welcoming, welcoming, right? Like I want you here. Like Bobby, I would love for you to come to my birthday party instead of you can come if you want. I think inclusion says like, you can come if you want versus I specifically want you to come to my birthday party. And then celebration. The birthday party is actually for you, Bobby. We're going to celebrate you at this birthday party. It's everyone's birthday today, right? So, like, I know you like uh, swing. I know you like creative writing. It's going to be uh, a jazz murder mystery. That's that's what's going to happen at your birthday party, right? Like, this is awesome. <laughs> Specifically, specifically catered to you, right? And I think that's what, we, that's what we really want. And we have the ability to honor people as they are and do all those things in our spaces instead of, I'm going to uh, see if you can fit into the space that's already been created. Sometimes I wonder if we have to like demolish spaces. I think there's some institutions that cannot be redeemed um, and are too far gone and like maybe our constitution might need to go. But um, there's so many things, but I think like, I think about uh, prison abolition or police reform where, okay, with there's no matter of reform because it's so central, like uh, violence against an anti-blackness is so central to this institution that it cannot be reformed versus, okay, we have our social space where we've been uh, historically um, not as welcoming or inclusive or celebratory as we wanted to, but we can change that. We can change the way that we talk, the activities that we do, who we invite, the music we listen to, the way that we discuss, the way that we engage. There's so many things that we can do. And so um, there's so much opportunity there. And I love this idea of how do we move forward together? How do we just ask people what they need? and then meet their needs. I think so often it is, we're trying to anticipate and wonder and question, but we can ask people or we can give people the power. If you were going to design this space for you, what would you want? What would you need? How could, be, how could we be supportive instead of, we've had this established space for white folks and we want y'all to be part of us. So come and join us. We're gonna make alterations 
But what if we need to craft a new space altogether, right? We are, uh, instead of a reno, uh, I'm thinking about HGTV, the Property Brothers, I still love them. It is, we're building a brand new build. We're gonna build our dream house, our dream community, our dream space all together. What does that look like for all of us to have a say in doing that? Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, and it reminded it reminded me of the first, like uh, you know, um, a few years ago. You know, there there's a concept that we were work, a lot of us were working for in the scene, which is you know, um, how how do we you know again welcome. Uh, people of color and blackness itself into the yeah, dance scene, yes. and that and that was step one. And not a lot of people at mentioned step two. Step two, mm-hmm. let go of the control of the end Ooh. result. Ooh. And like when someone finally mentioned step two and brought that to life, that was like, oh, oh, right. Yeah. Like you know, like I myself was thinking only as far as step one and didn't yes. realize how important that step two was. And it was a little scary subconsciously at the very beginning, right? The first time I heard that, it was like, oh, wait, this thing that I, I love to like control of that, right? Yeah. Uh, but then as soon as like, as soon as it dawned on, you know, as soon as my conscious caught up with that subconscious fear, it was like, oh, wait, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Let go of that control. Yes. I think that's one of the, um, one of the tenets of white supremacy is control and power hoarding, right? Like uh, we we keep calling for like social change and all these companies and organizations and communities were, yes, we're all about a black lives matter. We said it, we proclaimed it, whether we were socially pressured into doing it, who knows, we'll take it. (laughs) But then there is this, um, I don't know. I think about like hand holding where uh, white folks are often holding hands of like with white supremacy. Like this is how we've been socialized, how we've been raised. But then also I've learned better. So I'm holding hands with like multiculturalism and community. And so I'm holding hands, but I'm stuck with both. You can't have both, right? I think there's this fear of like, if I let go, am I gonna be disengaged? Am I gonna lose social power, privilege, connection? I don't wanna lose my status, but I do want to like be better and change. Like you have to let go, and once you let go, there's nothing to be afraid of because you're gonna get, you're gonna get caught. Like yeah. you're going to build a new community. You're gonna be uh, like tell the truth. You're gonna have authenticity, love, compassion, like all these things that we all want. But you have to let go, and I think the letting go is what terrifies people. Um, you can't. I don't know. Like you can't have both where we are. Uh, we're making space for people, but we also don't want to change at all, right? Like you can't just like. I don't know. It's like making little modifications when maybe you got to knock the house down. It's going to be a brand new house. It's going to take a little bit of building, but it's going to be better at the end. Are we are we prepared to go to the end or not? Because if not, we shouldn't do the work to begin with. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier how, you know, we as a scene are trying to come to terms with welcoming people of color and just making sure it's welcoming for black people. And then, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it was brought up also, we need to make the space itself more black. Mm-hmm. You know, like we, we don't want it to be a white space that's welcoming yeah. the black people when it was originally a black space to begin with. Right. Yeah. And so uh, that's something that we're also like coming to terms with and, and how that will look in the future. Mm-hmm. It is, um, I think about allyship and what does it mean to be an ally where it's not this self proclaimed title, it is a gift bestowed on upon you. It is, you've shown up for me in this dynamic way and I get to tell you, hey, you are an ally to me. You've shown up in the ways I needed you to. Allyship to me is self-defeating. And I think this is where 
um, people get caught up where it's, we think of um, combating racism as empathy for black folks. Like, this is so sad. The ways that black folks are being murdered is really terrible. I feel bad for you. Oh my goodness. And I'm keeping you at an arm's length away. I see how terrible that is. I don't want it to happen to me. And so I'm going to do my part. I donate. I go to a protest. But I get to retreat and return to the safety of whiteness, uh, white culture, the suburbs, Whole Foods, whatever it is, wherever you feel comfortable. But this is, there's no retreat from the way that uh, white supremacy has treated blackness. I always have to like, correct people where they'll talk about the black experience as like awful and intrinsically like harmful. And I'm like, no. Uh, anti-black racism has actors. We need to name them. Like, there's no inherent value to race, but people are because of how they perceive themselves and other people are perpetrating violence and harm against other people. We have to name that's an active act. It's not inherent to blackness. And so, allyship in its truest form is self-defeating. It is using your positionality to dismantle your position. Right? Like the only reason you have. Uh, this positionality, this privilege, this power to make social change is because you've been placed there. So the goal is to dismantle that uh, that positionality. It is, I've been placed on a tower. It's not lifting someone else up on the on their own tower. It's, I'm knocking down my tower so it can be fair and tell the truth. Um, and that's scary for people. I think that's really terrifying. It's for your own benefit. I think it's, like, it's, it's for your own soul. It's not saving me. It is saving yourself because You've been lied to your entire life, right? About like the way the world is supposed to work or who we've meant to, who we've been and who we are now. The cognitive dissonance in our country around race and racism is absolutely terrifying and it's fascinating at the same time where how can we be, pretend to be a nation of freedom, liberty and justice, but then we have not uh, provided these opportunities for so many people to be at their best, right? Tell the truth, make social change, own our own BS, uh, hold people we love accountable, and let's move forward because the end result is going to be for the benefit of all of us. I think racism racism has nothing to do with people of color. It is an issue for white folks to solve. Sexism has nothing to do with women. It's for men to solve. We benefit from the oppression of women, plain and simple, right? So um, when we think of it that way, the responsibility is on us instead of uh, I can pick and choose when I'm going to engage. It's about you and it won't change because it's about you. We're waiting for you. It's not me. It's your job. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. I just ranted, but that's, you know. No, it's all good. It was, it was, a, mic drop. It was a mic drop moment. Like I wanted to remove my microphone and just like <laughs> just walk away. But, um, but yeah, no, it's really important. And, um, and honestly, I've been thinking a lot about um, my own personal privilege. And mm-hmm. like when you think about... Um, if we're talking about the socially constructed concept of race mm-hmm. um, in the United States, I'm kind of like one of the bottom rungs, right? Mm-hmm. Being mm-hmm. with the intersection of being a black woman. Um, yes. There's a lot of really great information out there about like healthcare, romance and dating and like oh. every arena. Like I kind of like mm-hmm. as a black woman, we're like at the, it's not so great. Anyway, um, (laughs) but on the flip side, I have to own the privilege that I do have, which is like, especially within the academic arena, like Mm -hmm. I um, have somehow uh, as a young woman with a 
master's degree, done the impossible and achieved tenure Mm -hmm. at the um, early age of 32, which is kind of unheard of. Um, And so, yeah. And so I, there are like lots of privileges that happen that, that have been bestowed on me. And so as, and, and also like, as we were talking about um, the way that I speak often Mm -hmm. affords me some privilege um, and here and in Zambia. And Mm. so there's, this question that I have for myself, which is how mm. can I spend the capital, the social capital that I have to improve the lives of the people around me? Mm. Um, and I think that sometimes uh, that, that there is external and internal work that we need to mm-hmm. do. Absolutely. And, um, and so, and I say that as a black woman, so that people, um, that the majority of the audiences that I would speak to, which are usually privileged individuals recognize mm-hmm. that this is something that if you have some privilege, as Toni Morrison said, if mm-hmm. you have some privilege, you, if you have some power, you need to empower somebody else. Yeah. You have to give up what you have to empower someone, somebody else. Yeah. It is self-defeating, but it is it is work that we need to do. Um, so yeah, I- It is, I, I, I resonate with that. It feels like, it's like cotton candy and water. It is, I'm giving something up and it's gonna disappear. It's like the, rac- the raccoon with the cotton candy in the water. But you're also not losing anything. Like you're not gonna, you're, you're gonna dismantle your positionality, but then you, you aren't losing anything. I always think about when we uh, talk about diversity, inclusion, equity, and justice, where people think they're going to lose. I'm like, you only have things to gain. You're not going to lose your, your rights or your privilege. You've always, ha- you've always had them. So now we're going to give other people what you've always had. You're always included. It's, uh, that's, it's fascinating to me. It's like a, it feels like you're giving up something in the moment, but you really also aren't. So um, it's, it's, it's challenging. How do you balance your positionality and your, your, your privilege? Like I think about my history and background. And it's funny because uh, the ways that, I don't know, oppression can be projected onto you. Um, this, this false narrative of it sometimes where like me specifically talking about class privilege, um, like I talk about uh, anti-blackness and racism and xenophobia all the time. And I'm also like, okay, you're like the son of a one percenter like that. You have, you are in professional school that is not a normal experience. That is a rarity. Um, that is, yeah, that's, I don't know. Like I can, I ever need anything. I just call my parents. That is not a regular experience. You know, most Americans are one paycheck away, one accident away from poverty. And that is not my life story. But then with my blackness, people project that onto me. So it is, um, I did a workshop a couple of weeks ago where um, one of the guests was like, what are your qualifications? Did you finish high school? And I was like, oh, what? There's my mom. Here we go. This is fun. And I was like, oh, well, yeah, I finished high school and here's my pedigree if that helps you. But also, I want to, I grew up on a golf course. Like, my life is actually probably more similar than yours than you think. Um, And they're so taken aback. It's like, I just didn't think that was a possibility. I'm like, well, you made lots of assumptions that were ridiculous. But also, I'm like, use your context clues. Like, I, I had an orthodontist, like that's why I look like, you know what I mean? Or like my clothing, or like my Zoom background is like, this is my photography. So um, pay attention. And uh, we also have to operate out of our place of privilege just as much as we um, operate out of marginalization. It's both. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, I, I agree. It's, it is really interesting, you know, um, the assumptions that people place oh, yeah. on you. Um, and this is, I, I think if there's anything that, um, I try to tell people that are like grappling with this and experience mm. shame with this mm -hmm. is that, um, it's, there's nothing wrong with asking questions and yeah. I'm really embracing Maya Angelou's, if you know better that yes. after when we know better, we do better. Like that's, um, that we are, none of us have arrived. All of us have so much more to do in terms of growing and developing. And so, um, asking asking questions versus like assuming and telling people about mm -hmm. their existence. Like yeah. I, I actually, I have some really close friends and, and, and I think it's a really important exercise to do at every level of interaction, every level mm -hmm. of closeness, right? Um, like what happens with like husbands and wives after years, mm. like people will argue or like spouses, I should say, I apologize, friends. Um, what happens with like spouses after many years, like, or like you'll, you'll hear the phrase, like, do you even know me? Like, you know, um, because people stop asking questions and they mm -hmm. make assumptions and we always need to make, we need to continually ask questions of one another about yeah. one another to inform our, our reality. Like that idea of courage that you brought up earlier, that yeah. like daily renewal of courage is really important. And I think courage also states that I knew some things yesterday, but the things mm -hmm. I knew yesterday may not be the same today. Mm -hmm. So let me, what can I do to further my knowledge, recognizing that, um, that knowledge doesn't necessarily make me better than anybody else, mm -hmm. but it equips me to be a better contributor to my society. Um, yeah. Wow. yeah. I think there's so many, like every single person we meet, we craft this intricate story, right? Like if I'm in season 27 of my life and my full cast of characters, there's, we got A-list actors in my life. Every single other person also has uh, as complex a life, right? And I think there's a lifetime of questions that we could ask. I don't know. I think for me, like, I don't know, love is an endless list of questions. Like if I'm in love, mm -hmm. oh yeah, but it, it's wonder and curiosity for a lifetime. I think that's what it looks like. And we can just let people tell us who they are instead of making assumptions. The, the story that they, whatever season they're on right now is good. It keeps getting renewed. They can just, we can watch the story. It's enough. We don't have to make the assumptions. And then also when people are telling us who they are, we can just believe them to be true, right? Like most people are not going to lie about who they, what do they have to gain? Our lives are complicated and complex and fun and quirky and weird enough to not have to like make it more exciting. And so what do we lose by letting people tell us their truths and tell us who they are and then believing them to be true? Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I, but I love your analogies, Joey, and I love your use of Thank analogies. You. Thank uh, you. <laughs> and, oh, they're so good. And like, it's, it's, yeah, they're, they're also, again, like your infogram, they have integrity to them. Like it's, it's, it's easy sometimes to make an analogy that kind of doesn't fit quite right or is kind of weird, but man, I've just been, really enjoying this conversation Thank you. Yeah. that's awesome i there's so, there's so much to be said about all of this i really wonder where we go next when it comes to i don't know our collective consciousness the salvation of our american soul whatever that is or the, the soul of the u.s let me say um i don't know i have hope i don't know i think that's what i've like learned 
other than like the despair and wallow and collective mourning of 2020, it is like this abundant hope. Um, I think people have, you've learned so much about how the world is and how it could be. Um, I think about, I don't know, in Columbus, all of a sudden we found money to house people who were experiencing homelessness or we have an abundance of food or we could, um, I don't know, give out uh, medical resources. We can do free dentistry. And I'm like, oh, look at that. Look at that. Uh, all of this is a choice. Everything is a choice. The way that we're living, the way that we're treating one another, the way that we are existing together is a choice. And that is both a, a prison but also like liberation, right? If we are the people causing our own imprisonment, if we don't do anything, we're gonna stay there. Or if we are the people causing that imprisonment, we also have the key to let us out and be free, like be different. So I hope that after another election, pandemic, I don't know, I hope this remains at all levels of interaction, whether it be interpersonally with the people we are in community with, most proximally with ourselves, our like, self-kindness and self-grace, but then also institutionally where we can choose to be better and treat people in better ways um, because we've learned that better is possible and better is a choice. Yeah. Integrated Rhythm with Jusomo and Bobby. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Integrated Rhythm. We'd first off like to thank Tom Blair for his fantastic advice and Robots Radio Network for all of their support. We would also like to thank Michelle Stokes and Laurel Ryan for their musical musings. Thank you so much for our yeah. introduction, our outro, and anything, any sound things you hear in the middle that are really cool. That's them. We appreciate you. And special thanks to Jessica Miltenberger for her enduring support, not only of this podcast and the inner workings thereof, but also as my wife. And great gratitude goes out to our friends and family who are the shoulders that we lean on and the ears that we speak to. If you listen to this podcast, you're part of that, and we appreciate your enduring support. <laughs>